love church. Do you love church? First of all, I love God. You love God with all of your heart. Well, when we love him with all of our heart, we ought to love God's people and we ought to love coming together in the name of the Lord. God is a church kind of a guy. Do you know that? He instituted church and every single time that we come together, I'm telling you, the spirit of God will speak to you. He will meet you where you're at. Just, I mean, today was an awesome time in the Lord. If you weren't here in the nine or the 11, you need to pick up that CD. Pastor was in rare form. I got blessed. Did you get blessed by being in church today? Amen. And last Sunday we had Reverend Donnie Moore with us. And uh, what a what a wonderful man of God. Great testimony. God's doing awesome things in his life. But as he was preaching the word, and he expounded a little bit on this, but he made this statement. That how many times in the Bible? A couple of times he referred to that there was this statement after this. Referring to after people had gone through a difficult time, what happened in their lives. And that just went off on the inside of me. So I've been doing a little research on it myself this week. So we're going to expound on that tonight. After this. After the battle, after the difficult time. Now, if I were to ask for a show of hands of how many of you have ever gone through a difficult situation, I think everybody would raise their hand. More likely, I could ask how many of you have never and probably no one would raise their hand. So we all face times in life where we have to walk by faith, where we have to press through some things, where it looks like it's a dark time in our life. But you know what? what? Thank God that we have the answer. Thank God that we are victors and not victims. Like pastor said today, thank God that he always causes us to triumph. Aren't you glad his promises are true? Well, I want to start out tonight, but with one of my very favorite scriptures, second Corinthians chapter two, verse 14, and I'll read it in the amplified version. Our walk with God should be a walk of victory from victory to victory, from strength to strength, from health to health. Hallelujah. We are not the conquered. What are we? We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So here we see, but thanks be to God who in Christ Always, everybody say always. always, always leads us into what? Into triumph as trophies of Christ's victory and through us spreads and makes evident the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. We know that God does not send the test and the trials, he doesn't drag us through the mud and the crud, put us in the pit of despair. But he has promised us when these things show up in our lives, if we will rely on him, if we will trust in him, if we will be doers of the word, we will come out triumphant. We will come out as trophies of God's grace, of God's ability to deliver us. You are a trophy of the goodness of God. Anybody in here tonight, God's been good to you. Anybody in here, God's brought you out of a pit of despair. God's brought you out of some difficult times and you can lift your hands and say, my God has 
been faithful. My God has never, ever forsaken me. I will say of the Lord, he is my help. He is my refuge. Glory be to God. He always causes me to triumph. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Glory. He leads me in the path of abundance. In the path of health, God will cause us, and he has caused us, to triumph. Glory be to God. Did you know, I like this one part of of this verse tonight. It just just stood out at me. I've read this verse many, many times, because I love this verse. But I was looking at this phrase, and makes evident the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. Do you know that Jesus' presence on our lives smells sweet when the glory when his presence fills a place fills a life there actually have been people that have experienced smelling the sweet fragrance of heaven what is that smell in the atmosphere it's the presence of the lord and it's a sweet smelling savor doesn't it say when we worship god that our worship goes up to him as a sweet fragrance into the throne room of god so i was thinking about this jesus smells sweet A person that's filled with God has a fragrance about them. But on the other hand, did you know that the devil carries a scent? And it's not good. Have you ever smelled something rotten? Something rancid? Something foul? Well, as I was thinking about that, the Bible tells us over in uh, Psalms 91, you don't have to turn over there, but in 91, 3, it tells us that we have been delivered from the snare of the fowler. Hmm. The devil, foul, he's the fowler because he fells things up. But you know what? The devil is also the fowler because he stinks. He's got a, a foul stench about him. Just think about that. Death. Defeat. Something that's dead, it begins to decay. And what does it do? It stinks. Have you ever had the unfortunate experience of uh, maybe you're smelling something. You might smell something in your garage and you're like, honey, is that you? No, not really. (laughs) Is that your tennis shoes? Is that your workout stuff? And then you wash everything and you're like, no, guess that wasn't it. We had that years ago and we were like, what is that awful foul smell? Well, we discovered a dead rat or mouse and it stinks death stinks and the devil is the author of death and when he gets his clutches on people when he comes into a life what does he do he comes to kill steal and destroy and he brings a foul odor with him he's the author of foul he stinks hell is a stinky place we don't want to go there the devil plays dirty and he smells dirty but we don't want anything to do with that 
When we get born again and Jesus comes into our life, he takes the stinky out and he brings us sweet in. Hallelujah. And he causes our life to have that sweet fragrance of victory. That verse we just read, I love that. It makes evident when God causes us to triumph, it's evident And it causes the fragrance of the knowledge of God to be everywhere. Have you ever walked into a room, maybe your place of of employment, and you might have on a new cologne, a new perfume, and somebody's like, what's that smell? You smell good. You ought to say, oh, it's old to victory. You're smelling Jesus on me because he has made me to be a victor. And what else did it say? It says that we spread the knowledge of God everywhere. People ought to smell that you are a winner. And they ought to say, hmm, take me to your leader. It's a testimony to have the fragrance of Jesus on our lives. When we hang out in his presence, the Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. When we hang out with him, what he is rubs off on us. Jesus isn't bitter. Jesus isn't sorrowful. Jesus isn't sad. Jesus will make you glad and he will make you sweet and he will make you happy and it will be a fragrance all about you. A witness and a testimony that you are his and he is yours. Amen. Well, this says here that he leads us in to triumph. We know that he, he doesn't lead us into the tests and trials like we said, but you know what? He causes us to triumph in them. And tonight we want to look at a couple of examples of people that went through some difficult times, but on the other end of that difficulty was restoration. Everybody say restoration. restoration. Complete restoration. And God turned things around for them. Brother Donnie mentioned this first one that we're going to look at, and it, it, it's Job. And oftentimes when people start, they hear the word Job or hear about him, religion will magnify All that he went through. Oh, poor old Job. He lost everything. And I heard this growing up and I never could equate why they said that. I'm as poor as Job's turkey. What in the world does that mean? I don't know that Job's turkeys all died and they were scrawny. I'm not sure. But we that was a saying in the religious world. Oh, I'm just as poor as Job's turkey. Well, I don't think Job's turkeys were poor for long. But everybody wants to magnify. Oh, I'm just like Job. I've had everything taken away from me. I've lost it all. I've been attacked physically. I'm just like poor old Job. Well, if that's the case, then you're going to get more than before. All that, the difficulty that Job went through in his life happened in a period of nine months. It wasn't 90 years. It was nine months that he went through this dark time in his life. But thank God he lived many more years and he lived in victory and he got complete restoration. Let's look at this. Let's look at verse um, 16. This is what brother Donnie pointed out and went off in my spirit. 
After this. Everybody say after this. After this. After the difficult time. After the physical battle. After the financial stand. After believing God to restore a relationship. After this. There is life after the difficult time. After this. Job lived how long? 140 years. And he saw his children and his grandchildren for four generations. He saw his great, 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 great grandkids. He lived 140 years. That scripture is powerful. But you know, as a woman, you like details. So I thought, well, let's just back up here and let's see all the details of how God did this in his life. Let's look at verse 10 of Job 42. And the Lord restored. Everybody say restored. Say it again. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job. Say it with me. Did the Lord just give back to him what he had lost? No. The Lord gave to Job twice as much as he had before. Our God is a God that will restore and make better than before. After this, God will come on the scene and he will cause you to excel. God will come on the scene and he will lift you up higher than you were before. God will come on the scene and he will give you strength that you've never known. God will come on the scene after this and give you a better job. Hallelujah. After this, Job lived 140 years. After this, the Lord restored Job's losses and gave him twice as much. That's a good return. Hallelujah. Twice as much as he had before. Now let's look on down in verse 12 of this same chapter. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For now this sounds like a lot of critters running around to me. For he had 14,000 sheep. 14 sheep is a lot to keep with, up with. We were just in Oklahoma and my brother lives on the farm that we grew up on and he's got like 79 goats. That's a lot of goats. This guy, Job, had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female goats. Do you know, donkeys, do you know how much goats and sheep eat. The reason Randy has all those goats out there, there's a lot of brush that grows out there on 160 acres. And he said he got tired of mowing. So he just bought all these goats and they just eat everything in sight. Job had to be wealthy, not just to acquire these animals, but think of the wealth that he had to have to feed them. Would you like to be responsible for going out every day and feeding 14,000 sheep? 6,000 camels and a thousand oxen and a thousand female donkeys. Wow. That's wealth, folks. That's restoration. Then I like verse 13. 
he also had seven sons and three daughters. Now, I don't know what his first kids looked like. I'm not sure what his first daughters looked like. They could have been ugly. I don't know. But when God restored his kids, guess what? Look at verse 15. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. These girls that Jesus restored into his life, God gave him back kids and he gave them back some good looking kids. He gave them back some beautiful girls. I'm sure that they were the eye of a lot of young men, the apple of a lot of young men's eyes because here they were beautiful and it says, and God, and Job gave them an inheritance. Normally the girls didn't get an inheritance, but these girls were so special. They were beautiful and rich. Woo, that's a good combination. You know what I'm saying? Especially if their heart is after God. They were truly a honey with money and God blessed them. (laughs) Beautiful and rich. God restored. Everybody say after this. Job's life was better than before. It didn't stop with the test and the trial. You might be right now in the midst of something that you don't understand. You might be in the midst of a season that you've never faced before. But let me by the Spirit of God declare to you, stay with God. Stay in faith. Your end will be better than your beginning. If you will trust the Lord and look unto Him, it's not over till it's over. We are in this game called life and our father is the umpire. He, it's his bat and it's his ball and we keep batting until we win. Hallelujah. He'll cause you to win in every single situation. Can I get a shout? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You are the God of restoration. Hallelujah. What he did for Job, he'll do for you. Now, there's another man that I found this one. I went home and I was just looking up these after this by the name of David. Anybody ever heard of David? David was famous for killing Goliath, who was a Philistine. But even after that great victory that day of him slaying Goliath, the Philistines continued for years to harass Israel. Part of it was because Saul wasn't living right. David had to flee for his life. He had to hide in caves. You know, he had a difficult season in his life. God had promised him that he was going to be the king, but yet Saul attempted many times to kill him. And in the midst of him running from Saul and doing all of that stuff, the Philistines kept plundering Israel time after time after time. But I found a scripture and I love this. 
over in first chronicles chapter 18 this was after david became king the promise of god had been fulfilled in his life anybody in here standing on a promise anybody in here god spoken something into your life and it may look like it's not going to come to pass do you think when david was hiding in that cave from saul and he was running and and he was a refugee he was an outcast do you think he was tempted to say man i wonder if i'll ever be king i wonder if that prophet samuel that anointed me really knew what he was talking about there are things there are promises that god give to us but some of them might take a period of time to come to pass as a matter of fact most of them do take a period of time to come to pass but the day came the promise of god for david's life was fulfilled he was anointed king and on that day when he was anointed king i can just see it like a cloak came on him and he wasn't he wasn't the godfather like in those shows the godfather but i think an anointing came on him and he's like we're going to take care of the family business today we're going to settle the family business we're going to get rid of these enemies of god so look here in verse 1 of first chronicles chapter 18 how does it start can you say it with a little more enthusiasm? Does anybody know what we're talking about tonight? And what does after this mean? It means restoration. It means after the difficult season, there is another chapter. Some of you have been in a chapter in your life, but that chapter is closing. Hallelujah. And you're about to write a new chapter. And the title of it ought to be after this. You may have had some things in the last chapter of your life that you just soon forget. You may have had some dark times in the last year. You may have had some difficult things come about. But just close that chapter. You ought to see it in the realm of the spirit. You ought to put the end of that chapter and the beginning of a new one. After this, after he was anointed king. It came to pass that David attacked the Philistines. He subdued them and he took Gath and its towns from the hand of the Philistines. If you'll study this out, this is the last time the Philistines showed up while David was reigning as king. After this. He battled with them. He battled with this. But the day came when he stepped into his destiny. He stepped into that anointing to be king. And something came on him. It was the spirit of God that rose up on the inside of him. And I'm sure God said, it's time to settle this thing. It's time to settle and take care of the family business. Those Philistines are not going to harass my people anymore more so let's continue reading here if you do continue reading here you'll see not only did he take care of the philistines took care of the moabites the edomites the amalekites the syrians david settled some accounts that day did you know that your account has been settled in heaven 
First of all, if you're born again, you can sing with me. I don't, I can't sing the oldies and all of the blues and all of that stuff like pastor can, but I can sing the hymns. <laughs> the old account was settled long ago and the record's clear today for he washed my sins away when the old account was settled long ago. The blood of Jesus settled the account regarding your sin and your sin has been washed away as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed your sin from you. And don't let any of those old ites, don't let any of the Philistines from the past come and harass you about your past. It's under the blood. The account has been settled. David settled the account with the enemies of God that day. And there's some enemies that continually try to harass some of you. You need to settle it. Settle the account. It's clean. That's not who I was anymore. Hallelujah. The old account has been settled. Long ago. What about your prayer account? Did you know that when we pray, God stores the prayers of the saints in beautiful vials in heaven? And he lays those up to your account. There are prayers that you have prayed all of your life that you may not have seen the answer to yet. But I believe it with all of my heart. Before that trumpet sounds and we're caught out of here, God's going to settle those prayer counts. Those people that you've been praying for, those family members that are not yet serving the Lord, you know that God has heard your prayer. You know that there is an account laid up in heaven. It's your prayers, the prayers of the saints. Did you know that we are probably sitting on this very property tonight because of the down through the ages, down through the years, there have been prayers of the saints over the Bay Area. There's been mighty revivals that have happened in the Bay Area. Smith Wigglesworth for sure came here. Uh, Oil Roberts, different ones, they came to the Bay Area. People prayed for revival when Azusa Street broke out in down there in L.A. area. People in the San Francisco Bay Area were praying for that same revival to hit the Bay Area. Prayers are written on the accounts in heaven. And when we stay faithful, when we don't get weary in well-doing, when we stand upon the word of God and we plead our case, Father, it is written, I bring your word before you. You said I'm going to be saved and my entire household. I remind you, Lord, it's written in the accounts of heaven. It's written in the books in heaven that you are watching over the prayers of your saints. You're watching over your word. You're watching over my prayers. And I know that they're going to come to pass. Hallelujah. The prayer accounts are going to be settled. We've been contending for an awakening, contending for revival. Don't you think for one moment that we're not going to have it? God hears the prayers of his saints. His ears are open to our prayers. Hallelujah. The effect 
show fervent prayer of a righteous man. It availeth much and it makes tremendous power available. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. When we stay in faith and we continue to pray the word of God and lift it up to him. The prayer count. It's settled. We're going to see it. The end result. I just saw this today. This was just coming up in my spirit. There's another account. Did you know that every single believer has a giving account? And it's not at Bank of America. Or it's not at Wells Fargo. You might have a giving account that you put money over and and then you sow it into the church. You sow it into ministries. That's awesome. But you know what? We have a heavenly account. And our Father knows what's in that heavenly account. Every time you give, you are not just giving into a work here on this earth. You are laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven that moth and rust cannot corrupt. You're giving unto not just to a man, not just to a work. You're giving into a heavenly account. Hallelujah. And you know what? God's watching over that account. And it's going to be settled. Give. And it shall be given. You sow and you will reap. If you've been putting into a heavenly account, you run into a bump in the road and you need finances here on the earth. You know what you do? You just enter the password of praise and you begin to say, Lord, I praise you that you said you'd meet all of my needs according to your riches and glory. Lord, I've got an account. I've been depositing in that account for many, many years. And Lord, I have a need down here on earth so I'm just going to make a withdrawal from my heavenly account and father I know that you settle up all of your accounts he may not pay pay up every Saturday but there's a payday coming the old account is settled long ago and that financial account glory be to God we can make withdrawals on it God knows what's in your heavenly account he knows when we sow And we give cheerfully. He'll give us an abundant return. Anybody else get happy about that? I just got blessed today. Thinking about that. He's got ways and means to meet our needs and to settle up that we've not even imagined. Don't limit him. Don't say, well, you know, I got to punch the clock nine to five, nine to five, nine to five. They're doing cutbacks. I'm not going to get a raise. Oh, I'll never get ahead. You know, God, thank God for jobs, but don't make that job your source. Keep your eyes upon him. Keep making deposits into your heavenly account. Ways and means to bless us and to get things to us that we haven't even imagined. Hallelujah. David, he was following the unction that day. After this, after he became king, said, I'm going to take care of this. We're going to take care of these enemies of God. One king even heard what was going on, that David was making wrongs right. And he got scared. He knew that he was next in line. So he sent one of his servants out to meet David. He said, go take all this gold. All this silver, 
all this bronze and try to cut a deal with King David because I know he's on the way. I know what he did to the Philistines. I know what he did to these other guys. I know we're next in line. So the servants came and they met him. And David took everything that they brought, but he went ahead and he still conquered that king. And he kept the stuff and he gathered it and he used it to build the temple. Let's look down here. We're in 1 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 11. Keep reading on down there. You could see in verse 10, if you wanted to back up, that that's where he got the gold, the bronze, the silver from the Philistines. But look here in verse 11. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, along with the silver and the gold that he brought from all these nations, from Edom, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, and from Amalekite. What was that? This was a after this moment. After God showed him what to do, he not only conquered the enemies of Israel, but he took their spoils. He took all their stuff. And you know what that stuff was used for? It was used for his son Solomon to build the temple. When the time came for Solomon to build the temple, he wasn't running around trying to find gold and silver and bronze. His father had gathered it. Where do you think his father got it? He got it from conquering all those enemies. And he took it, he blessed it, he dedicated it unto the Lord and unto his work, and he used it. You know, I'm not advocating going and playing the lottery, but if somebody did play the lottery and they won $5 million and they were like hesitant to bring it, well, you know, this money came from the lottery. I can guarantee you that Pastor Mark would take that check, lay hands on it, sanctify it in the name of the Lord and pay the building off. You know what I'm saying? Don't get religious about it. God's got ways and he's got means to bring money in. The temple of God was built with gold and silver from the Philistines, from the Amalekites, from the Moabites, from the enemies of God. I love it. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. We're not going after people's wealth. We're going after their heart. We want them to come into the kingdom of God and bring their money with them. But if they refuse and their heart is hard, guess what? We'll just take their money. You know what I'm saying? Just saying if y'all are awake. This was an after this moment. One day, David was hiding in a cave. The next day, he was king, defeating the enemies of God. Don't quit. Don't take your faith off the line. Don't get discouraged if it looks like today you're living in a cave. Don't say, oh, it's never going to change. It's never going to get any better. These enemies had come after David and the Israelites for years. They were a stronghold. But in one day, they were defeated. Woo! Hallelujah! I declare to you that your day of complete freedom, your day of deliverance, your day being sick no more has come. 
Your day being broke no more has come. If you'll receive that anointing and if you will act upon the word of God. Not only were the enemies defeated, but all of their possessions came in to the kingdom of God. That reminds me of this wonderful scripture in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. I quote it a lot because it just makes me happy. If you get tired of it, I'm sorry. You shouldn't get tired of any part of the word of God. We need to be reminded how awesome our God is, how big he is, how supernatural he is, how over and above he is, how abundant he is. We don't serve a little itty bitty God. We serve a great big God who delivers in style, who restores and makes better than before who does exceedingly abundantly above hallelujah Ephesians 3.20 in the Amplified now to him who by in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us now that's a key you gotta let his power work in you that day that David defeated all of those enemies you know that the anointing of God came upon him to do that. And he yielded to the power of God. He wasn't going after them in his own ability and his own strength. Anytime he tried to do that in the past, they were defeated. But when that power comes upon you, woo! when the power and the anointing comes upon you, you ought to get up and say, I'm a world overcomer and I'm a world changer. That power that is at work within us. What's that power able to do? It's able to carry out his purpose and do it super abundantly. Do this right now. Put your hands on your spirit and say, God is at work in me. He has a plan and a purpose for my life. And I'm going to let him do it super abundantly. Now listen to this far over and above. That we dare ask or think. You know what? I can ask pretty big. How about you? I can think pretty big. I can dream pretty big. But I always get so blessed when I read this. He does far over and above what we dare ask. As big as you can ask. If you will trust the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding, not trying to figure it out here, but leaning to that power that is at work within you. This is what he will do. He will do infinitely beyond. Everybody say beyond. Say beyond. That sounds like to me after this, he will do beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, dreams. Can you dream big? Well, your God's bigger than your highest dream, your highest thought, if you will trust him. I got anybody in here that's with me on this. This is a wonderful promise of God. Now, let me see here. I have another verse. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. Super abundantly over than what we dare ask or think. Glory to God. Now, there's some keys to walking in restoration. We want to wind down here tonight. I want to give you these. First of all, we have to declare it. 
You can't be silent when it comes to the things of God. We have to speak the word over our situation. If the enemies come and robbed and stilled in some area of your life, you have to speak restoration. You have to say, no, in the name of Jesus, you will not rob from me. No, you cannot have my kids. No, you will not steal that dream that God put on the inside of me. We got to rise up and we got to speak to it. Speak to the mountain. Speak to the lies. Speak to the laugh. And when something has been stolen, we have to declare restore. There was a time when the Israelites, they were being plundered by enemies. They were coming in and they were harassing them and they were stealing from them. And the people of God were not rising up and fighting for what was theirs. They were letting them take their crops and their animals and they were hiding. It says the Bible says they were hiding in holes. They were just hiding. They were terrified and God was not pleased. There's a verse in Isaiah 42, 22, and it says this, but this is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes. They are hidden in prison houses. They are for prey and no one delivers for plunder and no one says, are y'all here? No one says what? There's a time when we have to rise up when something has been taken from us and we have to say, restore in the name of Jesus. The Bible says if a thief be found, he shall recompense sevenfold. So you ought to rise up and say, restore in the name of Jesus. You're not taking another thing from me and anything that you have stolen, put it back. That's one definition of restore is to put it back. Don't let the devil get away with anything. The story was told about Lester Sumrah. We saw that video a few clip a few weeks ago of how he dealt with that girl that was bitten by devils in the Philippines. But another time, the devil came. And he, he woke up in the middle of the night and the devil is sitting in a chair in his room. And he said, oh, it's just you, devil. And, you know, the devil's trying to harass him. And all of a sudden, the bed starts moving across the room and all these things, furniture's moving all around. He got up and, of course, he he rebuked the devil, said, you get out of here in Jesus' name. And then he's sitting there and he's thinking, now, wait a minute, I'm going to have to move the bed back, the dresser back, the chair back. So then he said, now, come back here and put it back. I'm not going to get up and have to move this furniture. And that ought to be our attitude. When the devil comes, we don't just rebuke him. But if he's stolen something, we ought to say, put it back. In the name of Jesus, you're not stealing and you're not going to put any extra work on me having to put back what you took out of place. Put it back. In Jesus' name. Everybody declare restore. Restore. Now we want to give you three more keys real quick over in Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. And we'll just read a few verses for a second time. You know that clock didn't tell me. I know I haven't been going seven minutes and 33 seconds, but that's the time. (laughs) The little zero thing didn't count down. Okay, now I got everybody thinking it's only 733. It's early, okay? Joel chapter 2 verse 21. 
Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord hath done marvelous things. That's a good place to shout right there. Has the Lord done marvelous things? Woo! We shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. The whole contents of the rest of this chapter is about restoration. Jump on down to verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he shall cause the rain to come down to you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and all the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So, now let's read this together. Is that up there? So, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the canker, crawling worm, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army, which I sent among you. Restore is what he's saying. I will restore. But we see three keys in verse 21. We already saw the first one. When something is stolen, what do we got to do? We got to declare restoration. Put it back, devil. And then second key here in verse 21. Fear not. The reason, a big reason most people never walk in restoration is they are afraid. They are afraid that that situation they're in will never change. They're afraid that it's always going to stay like it is. They're afraid to step out on the word of God. So first of all, we're going to declare restoration. Secondly, we are not going to be afraid that it's not going to change. And it's not going to happen. Then the other one. Thirdly, be glad. Can I get some help being glad? Ha, 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 ha. Woo! Glory. Verse 21. Let's put verse 21 up there. I want you to see it. Verse 21. Fear not. Be glad. And then what's the last one? Rejoice. Rejoice. Hallelujah. Rejoice for the Lord has done great and marvelous things. Hallelujah. Let's all stand and rejoice. Glory be to God. Oh, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we bless your holy name.